You're listening to a message from Victory. Join us as we dive into the book of Romans to understand more about the power of the gospel in our series, The Gospel Explained. We are starting a brand new series called The Gospel Explained. And what it is, is we will go through the book of Romans, to better understand just what exactly the gospel did for us. What, when we say it changes lives, okay, what exactly do we mean by a changed life? So we'll go through that. And for me, this is my personal opinion, it's the most ambitious sermon series we've done in the history of victory for two reasons. Number one, the length. Okay, Most of our series goes for four to six weeks. Itong the gospel explained will go for 23 weeks. Woo! Wow! It's the longest ever we have ever done. Now, pero hindi 23 straight weeks yan. So we will break it up into volumes. Kaya ganyan yung tawag, ganyan, tawag sa ganyan. Temp poster natin. So, volume 1. Or alam ko, ang language yung hindi na volumes, ano na eh, season na, di ba? Mga TV series, kumbaga. So, season 1, ngayon, will run for 4 weeks and then we'll take a 2-week break during Holy Week. And then jump back in Roman season 2, run for 3 or 4 weeks, and then break na naman, and then so on and so forth. So we will break it up all the way to October. Okay, so medyo mahababay, but it's going to be exciting. But the second reason I believe this is our most ambitious is because it's on the book of Romans. In fact, uh, John Knox, the famous reformer, said, the book of Romans is unquestionably the most important theological work ever written. Samuel Coleridge, a godly poet and philosopher, said, I think the epistle to Romans is the most profound work in existence. So, not just Christian literature, but literally any kind of work in existence. Now, let me qualify all of that by saying the entire Bible is the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, dividing bone and marrow, soul and spirit. Kahit saan yan, kahit anong book pa yung, kahit anong verse pa mo, it is the divine word of God. But I guess these guys were coming from a literary and theological perspective. And true enough, Romans, according to many, not just them, is probably one of the greatest works ever produced by humanity. Now, just before we jump into our passage today, uh, let me just share a report from the Washington Post that I heard from last month, as recent as last month, about a, a group called the Freedom From Religion Foundation. Okay, the Freedom From Religion Foundation, which is an activist, secularist organization. Long story short, they want to rid the world of all religions. Okay, so it came on the news last month that they are pressuring, not, I'm not sure if it's just in the U.S. or worldwide, they're pressuring hotels to remove the free Gideon Bibles that you typically find in a hotel. Alam niyo yan, yung when you check into a hotel, you pull the drawer, may free Bible. Free yun, ha? Actually, you can take it home. Hindi mo nina ako yung Bible. I mean, that's, that, that's being provided by Gideon International. And so the freedom from religion, I'm not saying iuwi mo, I'm just saying, okay lang, it's free. Um, but freedom from religion is pressuring the hotels to remove the Bibles. In fact, on their website, if you go to their website, they sell these stickers. For $3, not that any of you will buy, pero when nakalagay dun sa sticker, warning, literal belief in this book may endanger your health and life. So, 
their followers buy those stickers and they post it, not they stick it on the Bibles in hotels. But here's my point. The reason, so by the way, Gideon International since 1908 has distributed 2.4 billion, with a B, not million, 2.4 billion free Bibles in hotels, hospitals, schools, and prisons. And my point is this. The reason Gideon International is so invested in making the Bible available all over the world is the same reason the Freedom From Religion Foundation is so determined to put a stop to Gideon International. In other words, they share the same belief, ironically, about the Bible. But we'll get to that uh, later in the message. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, and we will read all the way to verse 7. And because we are in season 1, which makes today episode 1, I am obliged to come up with a title, which I don't usually do. Pero if you're familiar with friends, you will love this. I'm calling this message the one with Paul's calling, okay, so that you will remember. If you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. Okay, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints." Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this letter, which is what it really was, was written to the church in Rome okay, at the time. And this church, the church in Rome, actually churches because they met in homes, is a great example of the power of the gospel. See, when Paul wrote this, he had not yet visited Rome. And when we get to the rest of Romans, you will see how eager Paul had planned to visit Rome several times, but he had not been able to. But he was so eager to visit Rome. So in other words, Paul had never been to Rome, and neither had Peter. And so this church was not planted by any of the apostles. As far as we know, it was planted by some of the Italians who were one of the men from every nation in Acts chapter 2, who were in Jerusalem during Pentecost, who heard the preaching of Peter, repented, and got baptized and, and added to this. They were part of the 3,000 who were added in one day to the church. And so among those, apparently, again, Acts 2.10 says there were some visitors from Rome. So these Italians, however many they were, went back home, started preaching the gospel, and next thing you know, started planting churches. Now, they didn't just plant churches, but according to verse 8, the next verse, which we didn't get to anymore next week, Neon. But it says there of the church, their faith of this church is being proclaimed around the world. So think about that. There's never been apostolic input in this church. And yet, their faith was such that it was being reported all over the world. 
This is especially significant because two years before Paul wrote this, Nero had just ascended the throne in Rome. And if you know Nero, Nero was one of the most wicked men, not just emperors, wicked men who had ever lived and had one of the worst enemies of Christianity. And so in the midst of one of the worst persecutions in the history of the church, this church exploded exponentially, literally, into the thousands. So in other words, this church in Rome was a strong apostolic church. And one of the reasons Paul was so eager to visit is this. If we can show the map, so far in Paul's ministry when he wrote this towards the end of his third missionary journey, Antioch was his apostolic base. You all know the church in Antioch from the book of Acts. And from Antioch, he had practically reached the entire known world, the eastern part of the entire known world. And so again, when we get deeper into Rome, Paul will begin to say now he wants to plant churches all throughout the western part of the known world, all the way to Spain. And now he wanted to make Rome his apostolic base. In other words, Rome was to be the eastern equivalent of what Antioch was to the west. But that didn't happen because within a year after writing this, Paul was arrested. So he made it to Rome, but not the way he had intended to. Now, letters at the time in the first century started with the author identifying himself, Paul, to the church in Rome, identifying his readers, and then a short greeting in one sentence. Okay? Now, actually, Paul did the same thing in one sentence, except that his one sentence was seven verses long. Everything we just read was just one sentence. It's a long sentence, but Paul, in, 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 this, in this sentence, he revealed his true identity, and at the same time, our true identity. And that's what we'll talk about this afternoon. And to help us better understand what Paul was trying to communicate, I will borrow from Gordon Smith, who wrote this book, Courage and Calling, which I read about a year ago, where Gordon Smith talked about our three callings. So when I three callings, I mean, we're all familiar with our calling, which we defined as our vocation. So I was very intrigued. Okay, so I'll frame today's message according to Gordon Smith's three callings. So the first calling, according to Gordon Smith, is the call to Christ. This is the call to salvation. This is the call to know and to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. This is offered to all. This is what it means to be a Christian. And when we follow Christ based on this call, when we respond to this call, this call becomes the fundamental reality in our lives. In other words, now that I'm a follower of Christ, I am a Christian first before I am a Filipino or a UP alumni. In other words, my worldview, my beliefs, my values, and my opinion is primarily shaped by my relationship with God and His Word more than me being a Filipino or my education, more than my culture or education. So that's the first call, our calling to Christ. And our response to this call is one of faith. It's faith in the person and the work of Jesus on the cross. That's why Paul in verse 6 talked about being called to belong to Christ. That's the first calling. It's a belonging to Christ. But when Paul described himself, 
he went further than simply saying, I belong to Christ. Paul said in verse 1, I am a servant of Christ Jesus. Now today, in the world today, we identify ourselves based on how we think we compare to others. In other words, we define ourselves in relation to others. And that's why man invented this social status system. In, in some nations, it's racial. Depending on which ethnicity you are, then you occupy a certain rung in society. In the Philippines, if we're all honest with ourselves, we divide, not, we're not racial, but we divide our society according to socioeconomic status. A, B, C, D. Depending on your income, then dito ka lulugar. In some other cultures, it's a caste. Depending on the caste that you were born into, then you know your place in society. In others, it's your occupation. Uh, some of you know, P and I were missionaries in Russia. In Russia, it's, uh, it's the artists, it's the intellectuals. It's the artists and intellectuals who are the cream of the crop. Here sa atin, doctors and lawyers, kasi mayaman, so top sila. In Russia, hindi pinapansin ng doctors at lawyers. It's the artists, it's the writers, it's the, in, the scientists, and the intellectual. So again, different cultures have devised different ways to dissect society and you identify yourself whether san ba ako? Elite ba ako? Or sa mababa ba ako? In other words, we're always measuring our worth in terms of how we stack up against others. And we like to build ourselves up so that ang dating natin, superior. In fact, I remember uh, one of my friends after we graduated, uh, right after we graduated from university, nagtayo siya ng business. Eh, pero alam ko kasi, kakagraduate lang na, wala namang, wala kaming pera, bago lang siya, nag-start siyang negosyo, mag-isa lang siya. Wow, congratulations, good job. And then, pag alisa, oh, gusto mo ba ng calling card ko? Alam niyo, yung pagbagong graduate ka, ang sarap makahawak ng, yeah, pahingin calling card, kahit magkaibigan naman kami. So, binigyan niya ako ng calling card. And then, nakalagay yung pangalan niyo doon, I have to protect the guilty. So, sabi natin, BJ Lingan, nakalagay, President Designer. So, tawag-tawa kami ni Pia, President Designer, eh, mag-isa lang naman siya. Kung ba, he's the president of his own company of one. Tapos, siya na rin yung designer kasi siya yung gumagawa ng lahat ng trabaho. Pero, pag nung kami calling card, wow, President Designer. Now, Paul didn't do that. Paul identified himself based on his relationship with Christ, not based on his relationship with others. And he, in terms of his relationship with Christ, he was a servant. In fact, other Bible translations translate the same word servant as slave. Because in the original Greek, the word doulos can be translated either as servant or as slave. And some insist actually it's more accurate to say that Paul called himself a slave of Christ. Now during the Roman Empire, there were thousands of slaves. And obviously they, were, they belonged to the lowest rung in society. So think about that. Here's Paul writing to the church in Rome. They've never met Paul. And in our thinking today, you have to make a strong first impression. So, dyan ka papapel, di ba? Para magandang dating mo. But that's not what Paul did. By identifying himself as a servant and a slave, he was losing face. He was using a designation that had zero and even maybe a negative social currency. Why? Why would Paul do that? Because it communicated to everyone his total devotion to his true master, Jesus Christ, and who he really was. In other words, Paul was saying, I belong to Christ. And my identity is defined by God. 
And that's how I relate with others. In other words, what Paul was saying here is that the most important question in life is not who am I, but whose am I? And when we're able to answer the first question, whose am I, we can answer the other question, who am I? Which brings me to our second calling. So our second calling is our call to Christ. The second is our vocational call. This is our specific, personal, individual calling. It's our response to the question, what has God asked me to do? How do I, given who I am, live out fully what it means to walk with Christ in this world? It's the specific, and if you may, it's the one reason God created you. And this is what, while we are the people of God, we are a community, we are the body of Christ, this is what distinguishes every single one of us and makes every one of us valuable in the church of God. Obviously, some of us, I am called to be a full-time pastor. Some of you are called to be businessmen. Some are housewives. Some are students in this season. Some are lawyers. Some are artists. Thank God we have musicians. Ang boring naman kung lahat tayo, pastor. Can you imagine kung lahat tayo, mga businessmen? Or what if we were all housewives? It, it can't work that way. We need one another. When one part rejoices, everyone rejoices. When one part suffers, everyone suffers because we all bring something to the table. And this is part of how God will hold us accountable on Judgment Day, to be honest. If God called me to be a pastor, at nagbanda-banda ako, ang sasabihin, Lord, bakit babanda-banda ka dyan? Itinamo kita maging pastor. On the other hand, if God called you to be an accountant and you leave your job para magpastor, pastor sasabihin, bakit papastor-pastor ka eh? Ginawa kita maging accountant. So this is our personal accountability to God. Now for Paul, according to Paul, he says, he was called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. Paul was specifically created by God to plant churches and oversee churches and preach the gospel. And in verse 5, he said, This calling is from Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. See, the world does not think in terms of calling. It thinks in terms of being self-made, where we alone define who we are. We alone determine our fate. We alone are responsible for our success. And their theme song or their motto is a poem Invictus, which ends with the words, I am the master of my faith. I am the captain of my soul. And in all honesty, I love that poem. I'm just being honest with you. But every time I read that poem, and it, what's the word? It, I don't want to say it ministers to me kasi nga mali. It gets me, it grips me. I stop and pause. Kasi alam ko, it's appealing to my humanistic pride. So mali, totoo lang, mali talaga. So right there and then, I mean, I do some, self ex, some hard self-examination. Because as Christians, we're not self-made men. We are called and created by God. Calling is not a matter of ambition. It's not a matter of opportunity, practicality, or obligation. We were created by God for a purpose. And we see, hear this, our calling is a gift. Our, it's, it's an act of grace of God. Paul just said it in verse 5. 
And so whatever it is you're called to do, that's an act of grace on the part of God. If you're a businessman, that's a gift from God. If you're a housewife, if you, you're a housewife who has never worked a day in her life so that you can care for your kids, that's a gift from God. That's a calling. It's an act of grace. from You receive it. And how we go about life depends on how we view what God has asked us to do. And so if in our first calling, our call to Christ, our response is faith, in our second calling, our vocational call, our response is obedience. Instead of selfish ambition, we are driven by the will of God. And this is what each of us need to go to God for. I cannot tell you what God has called you to be. And meaning and significance comes from discovering the reason God created you and throwing your whole life into that purpose. So, wow, so when I was reading this, okay, two calls, get, I get it. So, our call to salvation, okay, okay, gets ko yun. And then, our vocational call, which is how I've understood calling. What else could there be? Kasi parang pataas ng pataas, di ba? Salvation, vocational, ano pang mas mataas sa vocation? So, I was so intrigued when I was reading this. And when I got to number three, that was my biggest revelation. So our first calling is our call to Christ. Our second is our vocational call. Our third calling is our daily duties and responsibilities. This is the call that we face on a daily basis as we go through life. Lord, what would you have me do today? And this can be something as, what's a good word? Some as heavy, if I can say that, as the demands of our occupation or as simple as the errands we need to perform on a daily basis. In my case, as a husband, as a father, as a church leader, or as a professional. In other words, being present and available to my wife and children for today. That's, that's my daily calling. Or maybe even just arriving to work on time. That could be your daily calling. It's working diligently. It's attending Victory Group this day, this week. It's buying groceries. It could be as simple as that. It's doing one-to-one. -one. It's teaching a class. It's volunteering in an orphanage. It's driving and picking up your kids from school. I remember uh, soon after I read this, um, Monday, Monday is our day off, kasi we work Sundays. Paglabas ko ng bahay, flat yung kotse. And then sabi ni Pia, tama-tama, flat yung kotse rin niya. So, oh my gosh, eh, mag-aaral ako nung day off ko niyan. So, Siyempre, ano yung, pinamp ko yung unang kotse, para kumapalangin ko, and then tirakbo ko sa vulcanizing. And then ginagawa yung ganun, and then I had to drive back to the house, pinamp ko naman yung kotse ni Pia, and then dinirak ko naman sa vulcanizing. Yung sa madaling salita, naubos yung oras ko sa vulcanizing. Okay? Dapat mag-aaral ako. But you know what? I remembered this book, really. And then, ha, napaisip ako, you know what? This is my daily calling today. Ayusin yung flat ng dalawang kotse. Akala ko, it's to study, but you know what? This is what God would have me do today to serve my family by fixing the tires of the two cars. So it entirely changed my, my attitude and my view of life for that day. So biglang bumait ako dun sa nagbubulkanize ng kotse. You know, honestly, tomorrow, I'm excited about tomorrow. Again, well, Monday, day off. Pero honest, you know what I'm gonna do tomorrow? Go to the grocery with Pia. Nothing profound. Pero on, I am honestly, alam na 11 o'clock, we are going to the grocery ng umaga. I am honestly, sincerely excited. Tomorrow, that's my calling for the day. So it changed my entire perspective on how I go about my daily living. 
If our call to Christ is a response to faith and our vocation is a response of obedience, our daily calling is a response of faithfulness. Now, maybe you're wondering, what could be so significant about changing tires or picking my kids up from school tomorrow? Well, Paul said in verses 4 to 7, sabi niya, Jesus, Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. In other words, he was talking about His calling. But then in verse 6, sabi niya, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. In other words, all those who are called to belong to Christ, all those who are saints partner in this work of proclaiming the gospel. In other words, our daily call, the way we go about our daily lives, is our response to how the gospel has changed our lives. It's our way of witnessing to the world what it means to be gripped and transformed by the gospel and how to live out the gospel on a daily basis. And so by living that way, we are proclaiming to the world what Jesus Christ has done and what He can do in their lives through the way we live. And that's why Romans, this book, is entirely bookended by the gospel. Notice in the first seven verses, we read how much of the gospel Paul inserted. If you go to the last three verses of the book of Romans, it's almost a mirror image of the first seven verses. In other words, the totality of all three callings, our call to Christ, our vocational call, and our daily call, is our true identity. That's the true you that God created you to be. It's not what social media or other people say you ought to be. What they say you ought to be is the, fall, the fake you. It's the self-made you, if I can say that. The question again is not who am I, but whose am I? And when we answer that correctly, the first question, then we can determine the other questions. That we belong to Christ, we're created by Him, and that we are witnesses of Him. And here's my simple point for all of you this afternoon. The gospel redeems and transforms us into our true selves. To find who you are, to define who you are, to understand your identity, you don't go into some exotic place. You go straight to the gospel, the message of Romans, and allow God to define who you are. Last two stories, and then I'll close. In Matthew 22, the Pharisees, wanting to trap Jesus, asked Him, should we pay taxes? And what did Jesus do? Remember the story? He asked for, show me a coin, He said. So they handed Jesus a coin, and Jesus lifted the coin up and said, whose image does this coin bear? And the Pharisees said, Caesar's. And what did Jesus say? Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what is God's. In other words, because the coin bore the image of Caesar, therefore, this coin belongs to Caesar. Well, let me ask you, whose image do you bear? And because Genesis 1 says, we bear the image of God, you and I, we belong to God. Then give to God what is God's. Let me go back to my original story uh, with the Freedom From Religion Foundation. You know, I said, ironically, 
the Freedom from Religion Foundation, and the Gideon International share the same belief about the Bible. You know what that belief is? That the Bible is a dangerous book. It's dangerous to sin, and it's dangerous to unbelief. In other words, the Bible is not some stale, dead, inert book. It is the living, breathing Word of God. It is the sword of the Spirit, dividing bone and marrow, able to divide soul and spirit. In other words, the Freedom from Religion Foundation, they fear the Bible. That's why they want to get rid of all the Bibles. Why? Because they know it's a dangerous book. In fact, their other, what's the word? Their other, is that you remove the Bible, but then distribute Richard Dawkins' Bibles. Richard Dawkins is some famous atheist from England. That's their campaign. Okay? I'll be honest with you. I don't fear Richard Dawkins' book. I'm never going to start a campaign, remove Richard Dawkins' book from bookstores. And, please, if, honestly, if, please, please, Richard Dawkins ng hotel rooms. You know why? I don't fear that somewhere in some part of the world, some night, some lonely broken soul will open that drawer, reach for Richard Dawkins' book, read it, and find the answers to life that he has been looking for. That will never happen. But if that person reaches for the Bible, opens his heart to God, that man or woman will live transformed and a child of God. That's the power of the Bible. It's the power of the gospel. It's the power of the message of the book of Romans that Paul so brilliantly described. That was week one. Week one done. 22 more weeks to go. But I pray that as we journey for the next ilang months yun, nine or so months, our lives will forever be transformed as we go deeper and deeper into the book of Romans. Amen? I mentioned that our first calling is our call to Christ. And I would be remiss if, they, if I did not give that opportunity to some of you this afternoon. It all begins with acknowledging Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so if you're here this afternoon and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior, we want to give you that opportunity right now. It's the most important decision you can ever make. If that's you, just, just raise your hand where you are just so I can see, just so I know who I'm praying for, and then you can put it back down. Okay, anyone at all? Okay. I'll wait a few more seconds. Again, that's the most important thing. It's worth waiting for. Okay. Kung wala, alright. Praise God. Can, let me, can I just pray Psalm 91 over, over all of us this afternoon? Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, My refuge and my fortress my God in whom I trust. For He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. A thousand may fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Lord Jesus, even now we declare 
all of our faith. We will be smart. We will be wise. We will follow all the medical guidelines. But Lord, our faith and our trust is in You. You are our refuge. Lord, You are our dwelling place. And Lord, I pray for each and everyone here today, just for angels to surround them and their families like a wall of fire. And Lord, we declare, a thousand may fall at our side, ten thousand at our right hand, but COVID-19 will not come near us. For no other reason, Lord Jesus, but so that we can bring honor to your name, we give you, Father, all the glory in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. We hope you were encouraged by the message. For more podcasts and updates and to give online, visit victory.org.ph or download the Victory app.